equity of up to £150 million. You're in the theatre, fine, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. Thank you so much for finding us. This is episode 92, and we have got a lot to talk about. Despite there being no men's game to recap, we will talk about Spurs women and a 3-0 defeat to Chelsea, as well as a new documentary out on the club. And we will also be diving into a lot of the goings-on in the rest of the world of football, including some news out of Qatar and the Men's World Cup. Uh, we'll also get to some of your questions that you dropped us on what is left of Twitter after this weekend. Uh, we, we've got a full slate, uh, and we'll start by throwing it out to Shuban. He is over in London. He joins us on this one. Shubes, what's going on, mate? Good evening uh, and good morning. Good afternoon to you guys. And yeah, good to be here. Scotty is also with us traveling. He's down in South Texas, right on the Mexico border, visiting family. Scott, what's going on, man? Chilling, man. Nine, episode 92. 92. Awesome. Yeah, we're, next we're, one. Next we're one's big, man. Why, why would the next one be big? Why would 93 be big? To infinity. 93 to infinity. Next, next one takes us all the way. And sorry, if he, Todd will understand that. Some All right. Well, will. that'll that'll be an inside joke for some because I don't I don't understand what the hell he's talking about. I don't know. I went with it, but if if you if you follow me, shoot me a DM. I appreciate you. Uh, Caroline is also with us. Also, also in Texas, Kaz. What's going on? Still in Texas. Still hanging still in, in Texas. there. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a good weekend. Just watching a lot of uh, WSL games, which has been a refreshing change. So. Loving that. A refreshing change indeed. If you can't tell, um, you might have been able to tell in Scott's voice, he's under the weather, I'm under the weather. So we're battling through it here. I think uh, I think a, a an abrupt halt to the men's season and a, and a World Cup in November has just thrown me for a loop, and I am sick as a dog. So we're playing hurt, but we're getting through it today. Um, we're going to start this podcast off talking about Spurs women. They had a game this morning for us here in the States. Uh, at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea, which they lost 3-0. Um, I don't know. I, I know that Caroline and I were up for this. I know, Scott, you tuned in a little bit. Shuban, I'm not sure if you watched this game, but um, this was another really tough result for Spurs women. Um, despite them kind of playing well, um, it was it was just a, it seems to be the theme when Spurs go up against one of these um, quote-unquote bigger sides in the WSL. And uh, Caroline, we're going we're gonna to kick it off with you because you are our Spurs women expert. Um, but this was like, like I said, it was just like Spurs kind of played well, but still, when you look at the score sheet, it just doesn't look that way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been the same story with pretty much all of the top four teams we've played this season. I I think the Arsenal performance really was not that great, but even in the city game, you know, we played pretty well and it was just a few, you know, kind of moments of brilliance from our opponents. Um, in this case, you know, Sam Kerr is going to Sam Kerr. That's just a reality of life. So we can't really begrudge Chelsea for having one of the best players in the world on their team. <laughs> um, we also conceded a pretty soft penalty. Uh, that was pretty unfortunate. And then their second goal, which I forgot, um, was actually a, a pretty good shot, which 
you know, I've seen some it was, people. It's kind of it's kind of a whirly almost. It, it was, was a, like people were really suggesting nice that that Corpola should have done better on that one, but on the replay, you can see there was just an absolutely wicked curve on it. So I'm not too down on her for that for conceding that goal. But yeah, it's I don't think our defense was as strong today as it has been recently. Part of that could be that you know Shalina was out on international duty having some great games and Molly Bartrip was not playing competitive matches for a few weeks because we had that postponed game for Spurs. You know, we had a big breakout. So I don't think that probably helped very much, but we did have some good, good movement going forward despite missing Nicola Karcheska. She was, you know, injured, has an ankle injury and we're not really sure, you know, exactly when she's going to be back. But I think she was a bit of a miss today. Um, Just having someone who's a little bit more, clinical with their finishing because we had a few opportunities you know most notably drew spence had one near the end that was a golden opportunity that she just could not convert um and yeah that's that's basically it you know it's one of those cases where we had a really sparse bench again and chelsea have world-class players to bring off of their bench that's kind of where spurs are at as a club right now and i don't want to be too negative because i do think you know, if we had gotten to play that game against Everton, we could be having a much different perspective on this game if we had been coming off of two wins. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally, I, I, I hear you there. It felt like, you know, it was 3-0 before halftime, and it felt like Spurs really had the better of it in the second half too. But that also could have been Chelsea putting, you know, pulling their foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. It could have been a combination of those two things. Um we were having kind of a broader conversation about the Spurs women um, in our group chat this morning. And, and I know you were having a similar conversation um, on, on Twitter about kind of where this club is right now. And, you know, I was kind of presenting it to you as it felt, it feels to me like Spurs women are in that best of the rest category in the WSL where you've got Man United, Arsenal, City, and who am I missing? Chelsea, of course, Chelsea, United. who we just, who, uh, did I say okay? I missed. I missed United. Oh, sorry. Those, I made those four. <laughs> those four though are are just in in that class above, and then Spurs are on kind of in that best of the rest category. It's where they finished last year in the WSL was fifth, uh, which is their highest ever finish. It, it it feels like that gap though is wider than almost any other gap. Even if you look at men's football and talk about the gap with like Bayern in the Bundesliga overall over, over the last handful of years or PSG in France or um, Juventus historically in Italy, even city in the premier league, the gaps there are smaller than the gap between those four teams in the WSL and Spurs being at the top of the rest of that class. Does that, does that feel like, like where we're at right now? Definitely. Yeah. I think I alluded to it just now by saying, you know, if we'd had that game against Everton, our entire you know, outlook going into the Chelsea game may have been different because we we had that chance to sort of prove that we are the best of the rest by consistently beating those teams that are, you know, below us in the table. Um, but there there is such a huge gap in between us and the Manchester teams and Chelsea and Arsenal. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, recruitment, the fact that they have more established academies also that they've been able to bring up some great talent from. Um, It's just frustrating when you, when you think about the fact that we did, you know, kind of overperform last season 
And it felt like this was a really good opportunity for us to kind of push on and try to take the next step. And I don't feel like we've quite done that with the transfer strategy this past summer. You know, I think we brought in some players who are good players and, you know, probably will do great things for the club eventually. Um, you know, a lot of them being younger players to be specific. But I, I think we just missed an opportunity with bringing in even just one top class forward to, you know, help us score more goals, help us be more competitive with those top teams. Because some of it is a perception thing, you know, like other other teams in the league, you know, they have similar score lines when they play these teams. Um, but none of them are supposed to be really, you know, expected to challenge, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think we were at the point where we were starting to get that reputation and now we're not really delivering on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the question I have for you, Kaz, is um, well, a couple of things. Um, for, um, I was actually, I went to, to Old, uh, somewhere near Old Trafford, um, it's called Wigan, and that's where Man United started playing their games when they first started. And at the time, we were still playing in Chesn. And just to describe what Chesn is like, because you guys haven't been, it's basically a field with a bunch of sheds around it. That is how Chesn is. It was, it's very non-league. And why, why, why I don't understand is, I'm assuming the Glazers are investing into the Man United women's team because Man City have invested a lot. So that's one question. But the other question is, do you worry about losing some really good players? Because I know you're going to be really angry at me for saying this, but Ash Neville, I've seen her play at every level. I don't know about Chesson and now at Waha Lane. And she is head and shoulders of the best player that we have. Do you worry that we're going to lose someone like her to a bigger side just because to, to, to a more well-funded, more interested, more focused side in developing the women's team. Because if we lost her, I mean, she's so good. I mean, she can play like she's like Perisic. She can be striker, winger, wing back. She's just amazing. Yeah. Luckily, I don't worry about that. Just because Ash has been very vocal about saying she wants to stay at Tottenham. She's very committed to the club. I have zero doubt about that. Um, I think the bigger concern is is the other way, the incomings, is that we're not able to attract, you know, the top players just yet. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I've been talking about. I feel like even just bringing in one really top quality player this summer to play alongside Ash would have been a huge boost in the long run. Because I think the closer we get to, you know, actually competing for those Champions League qualification spots, the better we're going to be able to recruit. And, you know, it's not something that can change overnight. Um, but I just felt like we didn't really make any progress towards that. And there's, there's still January, so who knows? But, yeah, I'm, think, I'm not worried about Ash going anywhere, though. So that's the one silver lining. I think there's also a real conversation to be had about the, the progression of this club. And that gets us into talking about this documentary that came out on, granite the Spurs internal, you know, uh, media company i guess spurs play um but this this documentary brock's burn and beyond from grassroots to wsl caroline you you pointed this thing out to me the other day that, that this debuted and i watched it yesterday and i was i was like it was very entertaining number one i thought mm -hmm. the way that it was put together was really well it spells out the history of the of the spurs women and and how they came to be but also leading up to last season when as i mentioned they had their highest finish ever um and it 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 really does 
it really does spell out a difference between a club like Spurs, which have grown this thing kind of organically and slowly and methodically versus some of these other clubs like let's take Man United, for example. You can tell I've thrown a lot of money at it very quickly and gotten it to a point where where it is right now. Um, and I think Chelsea and, and you know these other clubs, Arsenal, can be thrown into that category as well. They've thrown a lot of money at it, and I think that's, there, there's a difference in, in the approach. And I almost think it's a difference that you can kind of see on the men's side of things with Spurs as well. Spurs men don't throw money haphazardly at things either. They're trying to take this approach of building something gradually, and it's something – that I think we're seeing um, on the women's side as well. Um, but the, the document, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the documentary as a whole and what you thought of it and, and kind of how that relates to this grander conversation that we're having. Yeah. I, I also watched the documentary. I thought it was really well done. Um, you know, we got to see some of sort of the personalities who have really brought the club from the literal grassroots, you know, bottom of the pyramid level all the way up to the WSL. And I think it is something that should be a point of pride for Spurs fans that the club has progressed um, organically like that. You know, like you said, on our own merit, I guess you could say as well. Um, but to bring it back to, you know, the original point that Shuban was asking about, like comparing to Manchester United. And I do think it's a good club to compare ourselves with because we did, you know, progress to the WSL in the same season. So it's, you know, it's really a like for like situation. Um, and it's funny that when Manchester United got into the WSL, they were also under a lot of pressure in terms of like needing to improve the professionalization of their club. And I think Tottenham actually has done that a little bit better with that in terms of like having the women's team training in the same facilities as the men earlier than United was. Um, you know, our academy is like top class as well. But I think United have been a little more willing to invest on the player side. So it's like, you know, in Tottenham, we've got the organizational things down, you know, and as they said in the documentary, they recognized, you know, the original founders of the club, they knew that it was time to take that next step and have Tottenham as the parent club come in and really overhaul the organization behind the team you know the behind the scenes kind of aspect but I just I would like to see a little more investment in terms of actual player acquisitions because uh, you know I think like I said even just having one or two players who can actually be like game changers would be a huge improvement um, just to just to help us get a little bit over that hump of being best of the rest to being actual contenders yeah, and that and that investment, I think, is something that's spelled out really well in that documentary as well. I would encourage folks if they're if they're interested in this kind of thing and interested in expanding their minds a little bit uh, in terms of following the women more. This is a really good entry point to, you know, learning about the history of the club and learning about the growth that uh, that 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 the club has seen. Um, but as you mentioned, there is a gap there and and that's a gap that it's honestly, it's been really easily spelled out in the first six matches um, of this WSL season because Spurs have beaten the likes of Leicester and Birmingham city. And where's the other one here? I'm missing or no, not Birmingham city. I'm sorry. They beat uh, Brighton. They beat Liverpool and they beat Leicester. 
they've lost to Arsenal, Man City, and now Chelsea in the in the WSL. So th- that's where the gap is, and they you know they, they're they're three and three now on the season, um, with uh, a League Cup win thrown in there as well. And that's actually where we go next as well is to the back to the League Cup uh, for a game against Coventry United next week. So Shuban, go ahead, jump in. Just wanted to say that in terms of the progress. I, well, I was there. I was there. The first one when I went again went to was one of the, was I think their only game at White Hart Lane at the old White Hart Lane, where they beat the crap out of West Ham, which is always great four one. And I was able to go onto the pitch. I think I met Wendy Martin, and I forget who else I met. And at the time, just to put it into context, uh, I said, "Can you please give a shout out to this someone else, but I don't mind Cat, uh, who for another pod would give him like five ten minutes." But now, thanks to like Kaz and what she does with uh, on her podcast, she's a regular podcast for Spurs women. I think I think that's the only Spurs women podcast, regular podcast. Indeed. And so I'm just saying that the transform transformation in these five years to see that, and the fact that we've played at the lane a couple of times, I'm just saying the transformation that we've seen in the in the women's game from where it was. I mean, for, just to put to context how ramshackle Chesant was. Um, to where they are now, at, that they've gone from being at Underhill or whatever Barnet Stadium is now to Leighton Orient, which is a lot closer. And and that game that you mentioned against <laughs> West Ham is is featured heavily in the in the doc as well. Uh, the, the game that they played at, at the Spurs women played at, at White Hart Lane um, is is in the documentary. So I, like I said, I would encourage everyone to watch that. Uh, it's a good watch. It's about an hour long um, on Spurs play. So go check that out. And Spurs women are back in action, as I said, next week against Coventry United uh, in the Conti Cup, the League Cup uh, for the women. So Yeah, I would also say real quick, um, speaking of Coventry, we have a couple of players who are actually on loan at Coventry. Unfortunately, Eleanor Heaps, the goalkeeper, just broke her finger. So she's going to be out till January. But Esther Morgan is finally back from her injury, and apparently she had a really great game this morning. So I'm hoping to check out, you know, a few of the Coventry matches as well, just to follow her progress, because she's definitely one of our most promising young players. I had a good conversation this morning with with a couple of folks from uh, prominent folks at Cardi Cardi Free and then uh, uh, Proud Spurs, who are both very much proponents and, uh, you know, uh, just great fans of the women's team, right, and and well-versed, knowledgeable, etc., both of them feel that we are kind of in that best of the rest category like you guys have discussed. But I think the point here is under Poch, the men's team was the, was the best of the rest. And I think there's an argument that, that we're kind of there again under Conte. And so I just really hope the organization uses the opportunity to have two clubs in a very similar situation and not only make its life easier, but I think do itself a service in, in having a parallel approach to those two groups because I think they are very much – and I will never pretend to be as knowledgeable in the women's team as I am in the men's, right? I'm working on that every day, but we we do see these parallels and I do think it must be taken very seriously by the club because I think if they go if if they go astray on either side, right, it's it's gonna become problematic, you know, not only for the fan base, but for the club itself. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, moving away from talking about the women's team, we're going to talk about some of the uh, the goings-on over in Qatar now and, and some of the news that's been made by Spurs players over at the Men's World Cup. Uh, Todd has joined us. He is uh, fresh off a chiropractor appointment, back feeling better for, for TC. Todd, what's going on with you, man? Hey, you know, any day that uh, you get to get out when the sun is shining and switch yourself into a pretzel and forget your actual age, uh, it is a good day for reflection. <laughs> Uh, and then when you get to <laughs> drive directly to the chiropractor to get that sorted out, it just reminds you of uh, your exact age. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's a good fucking day to have this conversation, despite the fact that we're dealing with a fucking World Cup in the middle of Qatar or in the middle of December. So, Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable and it's about to get more uncomfortable because the club captain, Hugo Lloris, uh, made some comments earlier this week uh, at a press conference and... It was not great. And as I mentioned, uh, Cardi Free Captain posted about this. It, it, it's created a lot of, um, not the posts, but the, the comments have created a lot of controversy. Um, but this was, this was kind of gross from Hugo Lloris, and I think we all are going to have our say on this. But uh, on uh, early last week, Hugo spoke uh, at a press conference ahead of the World Cup and was asked a question about whether or not he would wear a rainbow armband as captain of France, um, obviously homosexuality uh, is criminalized in Qatar. One of the many reasons that uh, this World Cup in Qatar is so incredibly controversial. Um, and Hugo's response was was not very good. Uh, he said, quote, before we start anything, we need the agreement of FIFA, the agreement of the French Federation. Of course, I have my personal opinion on the topic, and it's quite close to the French Federation president's. When we were in France, we, when we welcome foreigners, we often want them to follow our rules to respect our culture. And I will do the same when I go to Qatar, quite simply. I can agree or disagree with their ideas, but I have to show respect. Um, I, don't, I don't know what else to, where else to go with this other than this sucked. Hearing this from our captain sucked. And there's a massive contrast to be made in terms of some comments from other players, uh, other members of Spurs, which we will come on to uh, the likes of Eric Dyer and Harry Kane, who have said, um, said their piece on these types of things and, and done it in a very different way. Um, but this, this was really gross. Um, Hugo Lloris could have easily said a lot of things about respecting other cultures without saying that he has his own feelings on it and, and made it and, and implied that his feelings are, are similar. So, um, I, who wants to take the ball on this other than other than me just sitting here saying that this sucked? This was this was really gross for me. Simple for me. When you say the same thing as a Tory, that's the scummiest thing you could ever do. One of our we basically have a talk the conservatives, the foreign minister, said when you go to Qatar, respect their laws. And this is essentially what Hugo Larissa said. There's just to put to put it into context, the foreign secretary is going out there on a jolly up. All of the opposition bench, uh, of the opposition, none of them are going. They are boycotting this world, this um, this um, tournament. 
And I think that says it all. And I'm sorry, I love Hugo, you're my captain, and everything else. But when you say the same thing as a Tory, that's the lowest form of scum. It's beyond. Right. That's like the lowest scum. Yeah, I mean, personally, if, 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 if this is how Hugo feels, then I don't even really care for him to be my captain anymore, right? That's absolute bullshit. Um, and at best, if he just if he played the political game, right, for, for, for the FIFA, whatever, I'm still disgusted. And I, and I just say that regardless, and, I, and unfortunately, like, I have to address even friends when I say this, right? But Hugo Lloris has a responsibility that he chose not to act on, right? I don't care if you're, if you're a politician, an athlete, if you work in, at the grocery store, if people follow you and listen to you, your fucking words matter, right? That man is a millionaire who has played in the Premier League for over a decade. He's current, actually the current World Cup holder, right? Captain. His words have vast, expansive meaning. And he fucked up, and I do not respect him for, for, for the words that he chose. And again, if you choose to defend him or look the other way, um, I think you need to ask yourself some questions. Yeah, the thing that's disappointing to me about Hugo's response is that we know he has participated in the Rainbow Laces campaign that the Premier League does, and he's always seemed you know, happy to be supportive of LGBTQ rights when it comes to, you know, assisting in that campaign. So I'm not sure what, you know, his reasoning could be here, except that he's bowing to pressure from either his national federation, Qatar, or both. Um, And I just think it's kind of disappointing that a lot of times this conversation gets framed as being a matter of politics when, you know, sexuality is not an ideology. It's your identity. And I think that, you know, athletes, I'm not going to tell any individual athlete how to feel, you know, they might have personal opinions, but I think that when you're representing a country, you have to realize you're representing the entire country and you're letting a lot of people down if you're being really dismissive of, you know, their identity and their rights as a human being. No, I, I, I I echo everything you just said there too, Caroline. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the fact that he's willingly participated in the rainbow laces campaign in the premier league, because that's the kind of, it's the kind of hypocrisy that we're talking about, not only with this situation, but with, with this world cup in general, um, you know, these chance of everybody is welcome and, um, you know, Qatar putting on this show, this charade really um, has really, it's, it's rung hollow. And uh, I mean, is it, doesn't it just kind of ask the question though? Does he does he even support the Rainbow Laces campaign? Because, sure, I'll sit there and say the right thing, you know. Um, and I'm not. I should. I shouldn't reflect on myself, right? Because I don't want to pay myself into this life. But it's easy to sit there and say the right thing when when it's comfortable to do so, right? And right. and and there's nothing at risk for you. England, fortunately, is a safe enough space to 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 have an opinion, you know, a pro um, LGBTQ plus opinion. We could say, right? Go to Qatar, right? Eric Dyer took a fucking risk saying those things, right? There's an argument that he took a risk and he was willing to do that. Hugo is not. Therefore, me personally, logic tells me that Hugo does not actually support the Rainbow Laces campaign. He does so because he's asked to and it's comfortable enough to to to, to do what he's asked by his club, right? Um, but if he really cared about that, his comments would have been much different. The other day. Yeah, I... Um... I think 
I think to your very point, Scott, it's extremely easy to say comfortable things when it's easy to say comfortable things. It's much more difficult to say uncomfortable things when the pressure is on and the spotlight is on you. Um, you're right, Eric Dyer and Harry Kane. Um, you know, being from England, it's a place where it's, uh, I don't want to say much more open-minded, but certainly on this particular topic, there's more traction than there is in France. Um, I think that Hugo, as the current World Cup holder, as the face of that nation, was put in an impossible position. Do you... He said, do you basically come out and say something that could be perceived as controversial by your national media? Or do you tow, quote-unquote, for lack of a better term, Shuban, the party line and say the straight down the middle, easy thing to say, which is, well, we're going to be there, so we're going to do what, what they say. That's the respectful thing to do, which is the way that he painted it. Um, I think both are a chicken shit way out, and I'm very disappointed in the way that it was approached. Yeah, I think that's well said. That's, and I think the other big yeah. point, too, is that he didn't have to say anything. He very easily could have tiptoed around this subject because, let's be honest, Hugo Lloris is no dummy. He's been in front of cameras and microphones before. He's media trained enough to be able to walk around a subject like this and not stick his foot directly in his mouth um, or pull his pants down and show his ass in the way that he did. But he did that anyway. And that's the that's the part for me that it, it leaves me um, it leaves a lot to be desired from from a club captain and from a from a captain of a national team that, like you guys mentioned, is you know, is coming off having won this damn thing four years ago. So. Yeah, and you know, the ironic thing is that Gianni Infantino, everyone at FIFA, the people of, not the people of Qatar, I should make a better distinction here, the people in charge of organizing the World Cup in Qatar, um, you know, they would like for everyone to quote unquote focus on the football. But that's what happens when you hold the World Cup in a country when hu where human rights are not guaranteed, you know, when queer people cannot live their lives. Like you make it an issue by holding it there because there are fans who don't feel welcome or safe. And, you know, it's, it's natural for journalists to be asking athletes this question, like how they feel about playing in this country where they know not all of their fans can attend. I think it's perfectly fair and they should be prepared to answer it. Um, just to put it into context, I don't know if you've seen this thing about Alex Scott. Uh, we know Alex Scott's a gunner and forget the top right of the side. This is what she said. You are not gay. You will never understand traveling to a country where you are fearing for your life because of who you choose to love. And when we've seen all the backtracking about Budzio, there are, from, from my, you know, obviously I'm looking at this angle, but from the migrant workers that have gone there, when I heard the comments, which I'm sure Andrew's going to talk about, because just, just to put it into context, my parents came to, came to England in the, in the mid in the, in the, in the early 60s. They were paid a third of what their Anglo counterparts were getting paid for doing this exact same job. And I know that in, in, the, in a lot of government nations, not just Qatar, I'm not picking on Qatar. If you are an IT worker, if you're an IT worker or project manager from the UK, you get paid, say, 100000 If you're from India, you're getting paid 25000 for doing the exact same job. This system of kafala, which is essentially legalized slavery, he seems to say, oh, by the way, 
that's okay. I have, a, I have no problem with that. And that fucking pisses me off. Because you said that they're making more money than they were making at home. It's just a farcical logic. Right. Trickle down economics. It's mm. capitalism. Capitalism, baby. Yeah. Well, and and look, I, I told you guys I watched the uh, the documentary on Spurs women yesterday. I also watched this new de- uh, documentary on Netflix about FIFA, and it was a really really weird thing for me to be watching a documentary on the corruption uh, and the history of FIFA awarding World Cups on a day when yes, Gianni Infantino um, made this just bombastic and irrational speech that he did um claiming hypocrisy and racism from really going after europe as well uh which i thought was very strange that europe should be apologizing for the next three thousand years for its past mistakes um just the the hypocrisy of saying that he was discriminated against because he was a redhead um just Look, it, it all makes for for great banter and great jokes on on Twitter, but this is some serious, serious shit, um, and really, really deranged, deranged behavior from from a man who obviously has a lot of power, and we've seen what the power of a of the position of a FIFA president can have, going back to Seth Blatter, going back to to people even before Blatter. Um, it is gross, and I, you know. For him to say that everyone who comes to Qatar is welcome, whatever religion, race, sexual orientation, belief sheer he has, everyone is welcome. That was the requirement. That's just not true. And he knows that. Um, and he knows that. And Hugo Lloris knows that. And Harry Kane knows that. And Eric Dyer knows that. And everyone who has you know, any kind of a brain knows that that is the case with this World Cup. And that is why, no, we will not just talk about the football on the pitch. We... If, 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 if there are those who want to enjoy that too, sure. But you can't just, just focus on that and ignore all of the other stuff off yeah. the field as well. Ultimately, you know, call us virtue signalers, snowflakes, whatever. If, if that's what we are, this probably is not the podcast for you, and that's completely fine, right? But it comes down to this. There are issues everywhere, right? In this country, there are issues that LGBTQ plus people face every day every single day right but this conversation focuses on a couple things for me one in qatar the state is mandating the things that are happening right these are not fringe people these are not people and i'm not making excuses right never ever problems everywhere but this is the this is the the governing entity doing these things right it's not fringe fringe citizens on the other side of things ultimately if you are not willing to do what's right, no matter the situation and the cost, you do not do not deserve to be in the position that these footballers are in right now. And I'll just say that right now. And, and I understand this is a World Cup. They didn't choose to be there. But with that power and that responsibility, you have to be able to, you have to be willing to do what's right, regardless of the cost. And unfortunately, our captain was not willing to do that. Um, and I just will not be able to look past that. And, you know, the sad thing is that Infantino is going to be running unopposed for the next FIFA election. I think that's just a travesty. And I honestly wish that not just players, but the actual national federations 
would take more of a stand speaking out against him because, you know, he may not have been responsible for awarding the tournament to Qatar, but he's been supporting all of everything that's been happening at this tournament, you know, before it actually began. And now that it has begun, you know, the changes like being the rug being pulled out from under people, that's all him. And I think he needs to be held accountable. You know, I don't understand why we haven't heard federations calling for his resignation. It's, it's baffling to me. Like they're just going to let him get away with it. Well, part of the reason for that is that they're as in, in bed with all of these (sighs) crooks as, as he is. So that's unfortunate. I mean, that's true. I, I also, I, I do think that FIFA, I hope I'm right when I say this, that FIFA doesn't understand how pivotal of a moment this might be for them, right? Because I do think there is a lot that's being brought to light and, and exposed with this. Um, I cannot remember her name, and it's killing me that I can't, but an English journalist said it brilliantly yesterday um, after Infantino's comments went off, right? She attacked him as she should have, right? I used the word attack very carefully there, too. She went right for the throat, and I appreciated every second of it, and I will find it and Minister share it Reddy. so the pod can share it. Minister Reddy. Um Yes, thank you, Melissa Reddy. Well, just incredibly well said, right? Um, I great shot. I just yeah, I lost my train of thought now, but but yes, thank you. This is a pivotal moment for for FIFA, and I do I do think that with things like the the rainbow armband, right? If if Kane does continue to choose to wear that, right? We know the U.S. camp is pride themed right now, so things are going to come of this, and I do think this is an opportunity for there to be change now. Do I think it'll happen? Fuck no. But do I think there's an opportunity for that to happen? I do. And I really hope that somebody steps up and, and starts that, right? Because something has to be done with FIFA. This we cannot continue to just look the other way, right? It's it's this has been happening for so long. FIFA has to be held accountable and I don't know. This is the opportunity for that to happen. So just just to close the loop on Infantino, uh and and not that this is that this has to be the last word said about this guy because there's surely a lot to be said about him. But uh, you know, in this rant of a speech that he went off on, he claims that you know FIFA are 200% in control of this tournament. Um, yet Qatar then goes and bans beer sales. And while I don't really give a shit whether or not people can have beer in the stadium. If you're going to have that kind of clash with a massive sponsor like Budweiser 24 hours before the tournament is set to begin, um, you're not really in control of anything. You're letting things be run by. Yeah, that's hogwash. Yeah, what FIFA's, else? FIFA's change? on the hook for $75 million. You know? Yep. So you're not in control of anything if you're letting the government step in and take care of those things for you. Um, you guys did bring up Harry Kane. We brought up Eric Dyer. I do want to paint the contrast between. You know, we've gone from Hugo Lloris to Infantino. I do want to paint the contrast, though, between Harry Kane bringing up the fact that he does plan to wear the armband, and there is talk that if he does, he could be booked. Um, We will see. You know, we're recording this Sunday, the day before England take on Iran in their first match. So we will see what happens there. Scott, you brought up the fact that the U.S. has kind of turned their their crest and their badge and their logo into being pride-themed. All things that, that... you know, we on this podcast love to see and we would hope would be supported um, all around. I do want to turn this a little bit away from the, the the one controversy and take it to one of the other 15, though, and bring up Eric Dyer's comments, because I thought Eric Dyer um, 
was almost the perfect contrast with Hugo Lloris in some of the comments that he made this week talking about the migrant workers in Qatar and saying that it was disappointing that these issues had to even be talked about and that it was dampening players' excitement before the World Cup even begins. Um, I thought Eric Dyer's comments were that of a captain, and Eric Dyer is not the captain of anything, but Eric Dyer spoke very eloquently about this issue. And I thought the key part of his quote um, was kind of toward the end, honestly. He said, quote, the World Cup was awarded to Qatar in 2010, and he was I was 16 at the time. We have absolutely no say in where we play. Those decisions are made by people way above us. And obviously, we're the ones who end up sitting here and answering these kinds of questions. It's a difficult situation for us, not just us. Every team, every player is going to experience it throughout the whole tournament. At the end of the day, we are footballers. We are not politicians. But we do have our values, and we speak on them, and we speak on what we believe in. And I think that is the most important thing, always in a respectful way. End quote. That is what Hugo Lloris should have and could have said, but didn't. And that part of it, the fact that Eric Dyer can address this while saying we're trying to be respectful, but we have to also talk about X, Y, and Z, that is a, is a big deal. And, and that's why Eric Dyer, look, we've all gotten on Eric Dyer's case about a lot of things over the years, but I don't think anyone has ever questioned the kind of man he is, the kind of um, leader that he is for this club. And it, it warmed my heart to see after earlier in the week, the comments of Hugo Lloris, it warmed my heart to see the comments of Harry Kane, of Eric Dyer, and even of Gareth Southgate saying that the England team is going to take the knee before the game, um, something that they've been doing um, in order to protest uh, the, the, you know, protest racism and, and things of, of that nature. So I think these are, are, are good things that the players and, and even coaches are speaking out against. Um, even though we've got to kind of com combat the bad when it comes to Hugo Reese as well. Now, if Dyer can just figure out how to finish a fucking head. <laughs> well, maybe he'll get that chance. Go ahead, Kaz. Yeah, just one thing on, on Eric's quote um, that I appreciated. You know, he pointed out these tournaments are decided, you know, years and years in advance. The players don't have any control over where tournaments are being held. But I appreciated that he, even though he knows that aspect of it is out of his control, like speaking up is in his control. So I appreciate that he did that. And again, my main frustration is still more with FIFA and with the federations, you know, as far as the fact that these um, bad decisions at the top level keep happening. And we, you know, we had Russia followed by Qatar. It's like at, at some point, the leadership of FIFA has to change. Just to put it in context, there's a picture of um, so he's shaking hands with um, was it, um, Vladimir Putin. So we know what he did four years later. There's another picture of him with Mohammed bin Salman, and now with the Emir. Just to put it into context, FIFA will act. I mean, if you have ever seen FIFA delegates coming into London, they will act as if they're a country. They actually try to act as if the the FIFA president is the president of a country. You're not. Gianni Fantino, you're a, you're a solicitor, barrister, whatever. You're just a football administrator, okay? You're not. You're elected by a, by a bunch of countries that basically just throw you a bone because you flood them with money and you bribe them. So for the stuff that he said, it just really made me angry. And do you know what? Just to give it, just going on this because Andrew made this really good point. There's stuff people are, who are attacking Alice Scott right now are saying, well, if she was against it, why is she there? Alice Scott is a very good footballer and she's a very good football presenter. 
and she is there to report on the tournament. But that doesn't mean that she shouldn't talk about her very, her very, very real fears. You know, just to put it into context, I was there was there was an article in the Guardian about a young Emirati who, a young uh, Qatari that has had to flee and she applied for, I think, asylum in the U.S. because he is gay, and for him to go back will be a death sentence. This is literally, it's not just a case of you're going to be imprisoned. They will put you to death. And this isn't, this isn't just Qatar. This is other Gulf nations. And when we talk about the water battery, yes, I've, I've heard like people saying, oh, you're just using it to attack us, City fans, or you're using it to attack us, Newcastle fans. I said, no. Honestly, there is, this is a very dirty world. There's a lot of dirty money going about. And I try and protest as much as I can. I, you know, I flew out of Heathrow. Yes, they're part of the bazaar. What the hell would you want to fly out from? Just fly out from, I don't know, a place that's not, not owned by them? There's a lot of dirty money out there. Unfortunately, I have to work near the Shard, which is owned by them. But where I can make a protest, I will. So I'm not, this is the first time in, I can't even remember not watching the World Cup opening ceremony. All right. I remember the 86, I don't remember that. I remember Italian 90, because obviously I was a bit older then. I wasn't eight years old when it was um, Mexico 86. And Italian 90 was a, was a pivotal moment. That's what cemented my football. That's the reason why I have the friendships I have now, because of Italian 90. And so to, the fact that this World Cup has been so tainted by Qatar really disappoints me. And that's my rant over. No, I, I, I feel you. And and honestly, if you're if you're looking for you want to talk about broadcasting and, and, and coverage of these games for folks over here in the States, watch it on Telemundo or something. Don't watch the Murdoch Doan Fox broadcast, which is not going to discuss any of these things. It's just going to it's basically an advertisement uh for the qatari government um it is really really obvious and really really sick and gross uh what a what a what links they're going to 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 steer away from all of that stuff um but that's my own little rant about media and broadcasting because that's boy it is it is tough and and honestly it's tough to watch alexi lalas say anything um logical because he can't he doesn't know how so um just stay away from 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 all of that if you're able and again, I'm not saying don't watch the games. I watched I watched Qatar Ecuador today. I had it on. I wasn't enthralled by it because the game wasn't any good, but I had it on. I'm going to watch some of the games um when I'm able and we're just we're going to talk about the football, but we're also going to talk about the non-football. And I think that's really important uh in all of this. So, uh I don't I don't know what else there is to say about the run up to this World Cup that that hasn't been said already. I'm sure that Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot more to be said in the coming weeks as this tournament goes on. And we're we're going to talk about it, especially when it relates to Spurs players, uh, especially in the like the likes of Larice and Dyer and and Kane and the comments that they're making and, and have made. So um, it's important stuff to to be discussing. So uh, I, I think that's all really, really important for us to to kind of address. Um, I did want to touch on a few other things before we get out of here. Some stuff that uh, people had reached out to us about on Twitter um, that is non-World Cup related. Um, well, I guess this one's kind of World Cup related, but uh, I, Dustin Dietz reached out and wanted to know if any of us are going to find it hard to root for the U.S. with Matt Turner, who is now at Arsenal, uh, playing in goal. And I don't know. Uh, I know, Caroline, you don't, you're more of a Germany supporter anyway, so it doesn't this doesn't really impact you as much, but it honestly answering for myself, who's kind of like a, I'm kind of like a closeted us, like 
doubter. I, I, I support the U.S., but I just don't have any faith. I don't even think they're getting out of this group, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, personally, no, it's not going to seeing Matt Turner in goal is not going to hurt me. I, I'm not sure how, how you feel about that being more of a Germany supporter than a U.S. To- what do you what did you classify yourself as a U.S. men's national team tolerator? Isn't that how you put it? Yeah, tolerant. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll watch the games and I'll root for them, but they're not my first team, you know. But yeah, like when it's when it's your national team that you support, the club rivalries I think don't matter as much. Yeah, I there's tons of Dortmund players on the Germany team, and I get over it, you know. <laughs> TC, you feel differently, don't you? Yeah, fuck Matt Turner. I, <laughs> I would rather have seen Zach Steffen in goal, but that's only because he's a Maryland Terrapin, and I, I support yeah. all things Maryland Terps. But and I would rather see Ethan Horvath in goal because he's um, not Matt fucking Turner. But I uh, j- just in general on, on that whole thing, I think that uh, right now Matt Turner is a better option than Zach Steffen. I can't argue with that. Steffen has not looked the same since the, this, the second of the major injuries that he had at City. Uh, he looks fat. And he looks uncomfortable. Um, so Turner's our best option. And I think that that's why Andrew and I are very much in the same camp that uh, the U.S. isn't going to make it out of this group. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we will. Uh, the other one that we got that I really liked uh, from our boy, uh, Empo, uh, he asked, apart from the Arsenal game, and that one has obvious connotations to it, which one of the losses for the Spurs men this year so far would you pick for a do-over and why? Um, Caroline, I know you said you had an answer for this one, so I wanted to let you jump in. But I, I went, it's funny, when I was going back over the fixtures and looking at the losses, there weren't even that many to choose from. It feels like this season has been just rife with loss after loss, and it really has not. Um, I'm going to go ahead and eliminate the League Cup loss to Nottingham Forest from a week or so ago because I don't think any of us really cared about that one. But other than the Arsenal match, what what loss are you taking away? Yeah, that, that's a good point that we haven't really had that many losses. So thank you for this question, helping us put the season in perspective. Um I think my answer would be the United game just because I, I feel like they've almost become like a bogey team for us. We just never seem to play well against them. And I just, I just would like another uh, chance to, to redo that one and get rid of some of that bad mojo. And for me, it would very clearly be the Liverpool match because we cannot figure out how to beat those fucking guys mm-hmm. since they signed Allison. So I'm glad that you guys both answered those two because mine's totally different. Uh, Mine would be the Newcastle game, which came right after that United match that that Caroline referenced. Um, Not because I felt like we deserved it, but because I don't want to see Newcastle in the rear view in terms of teams to worry about. And I feel like that was a real sign that they might be. Um, That was kind of an ass kicking that that, that Tottenham took that day. And they they really shouldn't have. I almost almost expected Mm -hmm. the United loss going to Old Trafford. United had been playing fairly well. And honestly, the, the Liverpool game, I thought Spurs played really well and just didn't get a result. And that was the first time that that had happened all season. So I was willing to accept that. Uh, the Newcastle one for me was just a real kick in the pants, especially because it was the second consecutive loss following that United game. So I would take that Newcastle loss and want to do ever on that one, um, just because it really sucks losing to a team like that, that you can tell they're on the rise and you know why they're on the rise as well. That's really mm-hmm. kind of painful. So. I guess Todd's answer actually was pretty good, though, because, you know, there's the old cliche. If you replayed that game so many times, you would win, you know, nine out of ten or whatever, like based on our performance. Yeah, we probably would have won that one if we played it again. 
It's it's true. It's a very good point. But it's funny. We mentioned three different losses. The only other losses that we could have chosen from was the 2-0 loss to Sporting in the Champions League. Uh, and that's the list because those that's the only other loss other than the Arsenal game. And I told you I was eliminating the Forest game. It hasn't been that bad. And it really does. Like when you look back, it puts a lot into perspective in terms of um, just, you know, as down as we've been on this team. Uh, and we look at them at this break in sitting in fourth place on 29 points. And it's been four total losses in the league, uh, one in the League Cup and one in the Champions League. So really not all that terrible when you look at things in, in that way. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we were able to kind of field that question as well. Uh, we're going to we're going to wrap it there because we've I feel like we've all been on soapboxes long enough during this podcast. Uh, and and Shuban and Scott have already had to depart. So uh, we'll get their socials out. Shuban is at the real Shuban. Scott is at DSM Spurs. Todd can be found at TC underscore Kasho as he heals up from his back injury. And uh, we wish him the best on that. Caroline, you are at CG Stefko and I am at a Stetka. Most importantly, follow us at Tottenham Depot. Like I said, on whatever is left of Twitter. Uh, tell your we're also, yeah. Tell your friends. We're also on Instagram in case Twitter decides to just uh, go kaput. It didn't the other night when everyone thought it was going to, but who knows it may over the next few days or weeks. So follow us on Instagram as well. Um, and, reach out to us there. Uh, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we will be back next weekend to talk more about all the stuff, all the stuff as I gesture wildly going on uh, in and around Spurs. So until then, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast as always come on you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>